What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law, as always. This is episode 45 of the podcast, and we are very happy you were able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses. That is what this show aims to do. We are interviewing an elite player who has lost one to two games at a major event. We are going to talk about the mistakes. We're going to talk about how they plan to move forward, how they plan to learn from those mistakes. We're going to talk about dice, but not in the way you think. We're not blaming the dice today. We're going to say, not today, dice. We're learning from this here game. What happens when a rock meets an immovable object? A volcano meets a tornado? This show is going to answer all of these questions and more today as two Art of War shows collide. We are back from Chicago, and it's time to recount an Aussie's journey to be number one, falling just short to my personal favorite name of a craft world, Uthway. Now, this is part one of the episodes. We're going to analyze the game today. We're going to talk about common mistakes in that game. We're going to talk about secondary choices. We're going to talk about target priority and all that good stuff, and I guess things. And part two, which is available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com, we'll be going into strategy and the adjustments that our player plans to make to go into the meta, which is what I would call the Harlequin meta. So... Listen for that. Listen for list adjustments. Listen to how they their list plays into your list, how it plays into all the other lists that exist out there in the world. And don't forget about that elite player mindset. Now, my co-host today, he won a game. So I'll leave it at that. I'm excited for him. He was the winner of the Michigan GT in 2021. He's a nine-time member of Team USA. He's won Infinity Adepticons, Infinity Plus One, because he won an Adepticon team tournament this last week, defeating Art of War. I'm redacting my statement from last week. He has three top AWO finishes. He's the Armed Forces GT champion last year. He's the ACO champion of 2021. He was a runner-up against Workshop New Orleans. He is still, to this day, the Prime Minister of Canada because he won studs and snotlings. Mr. Bradchester. I'm just basking in the glow of that team tournament victory. And then I can high-five you on my way up there and go, Blake, I already gave you my acceptance speech the week before because I was that confident about the victory. Yeah, I, uh, I'd i give it a full victory. I'd give my victory speech last week, too. And uh, I'm just going to go back and edit it out and be like, best Imperium. Like, we're not going overall. You know, I, it was it was for the best Imperium. That's that's all it was. It was the focus. You got to focus on what award you want. Yeah, yeah. You got you to channel that energy and really bring it to life. I, I agree. I've been there so I've literally been to Adepticon team tournaments so much that I'm pretty sure I've won every one of the awards at some point in time because we've just been there so often. Like best Cenos, best Imperium, best sportsman. I've got the best sportsman too. Since the dawn of time, I'm pretty sure there's no list of awards that can fully capture Brad's awards at Adepticon. And we that's a whole that's one of the running jokes of this of this uh, whole podcast. But I legitimately swear to you cannot find a list of everything brad has won at adepticon i literally don't even know he's won everything that's all there is to it multiple times but should we talk about this guy we drug we drug in my guest today oh. comes from a land down under where beer flows and men shunder <laughs> can you hear can you hear the thunder 
He is a two-time Team Australian WC team member. He won CanCon podium in 2016. He is a Terracon first place 2017. He was the third place Australian in the IDC in 2018. He is going to win Best Dark Angels Faction Person this year, Mr. Adam Camilleri. The late and great Adam Camilleri. <laughs> the, <laughs> the dead man himself. The Undertaker. Dead man walking. Um, uh, yeah, when you made me dig up the, that list of accolades, I was like, oh, let's scrape the bottom of this barrel. What did I do? What was I doing in 2016? <laughs> yeah, well... Well, this yeah. is, this he's is like in 2015. He was the best guy that were Converse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. That's how I felt. Um, yeah, hopefully, I don't. Know, hopefully, this year the 20 the the, the Halo 2022 will be a nice year for me. I'd add another couple to that, so it doesn't seem like all my accolades were minimum four years ago. I'm excited, man. I think you're. Uh, I think you're doing some. You're doing God's work there with some Dark Angels. I mean, you went what three and one at Adepticon. We're talking about you losing to the list, kind of the boogeyman, and you beat some yeah, crazy a, stuff, right? You beat, didn't you? Yeah. You beat a Craft Worlds list. I ended up being an Eldari list, and it, funnily enough, it was directly as a result of the things I learned in the game I lost. So well, very unbroken, top, topical, you know. Very love unbroken. It. Love this. Immediately learning from your mistakes, the only way to play. I'm excited exactly. to hear because. Our, our, our episode last week, the people listened and they were like just defeated, I feel like. So I apologize for that. But it was kind of like a, uh, yeah, Marines are dead. Uh, Aldari is just going to rock you. So I'm very excited because now we have another variation of Marines on here. And you're going to tell on. us how to beat the now, Boogeyman. Oh, yes, definitely. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't you be putting my, my lovely elves in with those dirty clouds. Well, uh, yeah, there's two distinct. There's two distinct. Well, sorry, there's two distinct flavors here. There's a lot of different issues to unpack, especially when trying to be a marine player, thinking, quantifying what you have to do to contend against uh, Harlequins. Craftworld, I feel, is a is 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 a more com- like the puzzle is more complex, but the game is more playable. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the, they have the- less people can throw all their things at me because I'm a I'm an elf lover. But I think that Craftworld, while a top-tier army, can have the wheels fall off, and you have options against yes. them. You know what I mean? You, you can play into that, and all of a sudden, it, it doesn't feel autopiloted. It, it feels like you you can spot some weaknesses and take advantage of them. There is a difference between playing into a an army that is skewed um, d- dynamically, which is what I think Eldari is. Oh, sorry, sorry, um, Craftworld is. Craftworld is a dynamic army. It's flexible. It's fluid. It's like water, as Bruce Lee would say. And you can contend with that because it's not coming from a place of oppressive durability or oppressive offense, even though it can do those things at times. Um, whereas that's where Harlequins come from. Harlequins come from a place of absolutely oppressive. They will do things to you and you will you are unable to do things to them. And that's like it's it's like a climbing a mountain. The 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 craft world's challenge is a long trek, but it's not straight up all the way. Craft world is a short trek and it is just straight up. So Harlequins is a, is just straight straight up. There's no it, it's yeah, a sheer cliff face. It, and I do I do think you have some some tools with the Dark Angels. The Boy King and I just did the marine tier list and we put mm-hmm. the your Dark Angels at the very top. The tip top, top of the mountain. Yeah, I do agree with that. I want to talk um, about why that's the case. I'm excited for this episode, man. I've been wanting to get you on for almost a year now. It's uh it's been a long time coming. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what you brought, brother. Let's let me hear that list. Let me hear that magic, that magic juice that you brought. Sure. Uh so I got I gotta qualify this with a couple of things. 
I'm on tour of America at the moment. I, I have like I have like six or seven thousand points of painted Dark Angels at home in Australia, and I only have in my case what's in my case. Um, so there are some choices in this list that were made simply because of the models that I had on me and I have with me that are painted. I mean, Adepticon has some hobby level restrictions as well, so you're incentivized to take a cohesive, somewhat thematic-looking army, so that was taken into account also. And then I did some wacky stuff <laughs> in addition, which we're going to get to talk about. Uh, but So I took so, a, much, so much stuff to talk about in the branding about things that you can the, take in the future. <laughs> exactly. Well, perfect. So I took a little bit of a wacky list, uh, and it all turns out. So I, I had a, a Ravenwing Outrider, a Deathwing Vanguard, and an auxiliary support detachment. So I spent two CP for something, which we will unpack in a moment. But uh, it starts off with the Outrider. It's got a, chap, a Promos Chappie on bike, who was kitted out for Smash. Um, he was my Warlord. Had um, da, 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 Master of Sanctity, of course. Uh, Mantra of Strength, Canticle of Hate, Benediction of Fury, and um, Wise Orator. So extra smashy. And I just needed a beta. Um, then I had a Ravenwing Talentmaster, just a single with Arbiter's Gaze, because that guy is a boss. Um, three by three bike squads, just just obsec bikers, 90 points with chainswords, keep them lean, keep them mean. Um, and then I had an outrider squad for 150 points, which is a lot more than I want to pay for that squad. But it was in the case, had to take it. Then we had a Deathwing Vanguard. Um, starts off with Ezekiel, who had uh, Mind Worm, Righteous Repugnance, and Engulfing Fear, so all the all the good powers. Um, a Deathwing Command Squad, two of them with just Thunderhammer Storm Shield. Two bricks of ten Deathwing Terminators, one kitted for melee, that being five Lightning Cores, five Thunderhammer Storm Shields, and the other one being a Daka uh, brick with uh, three Thunderhammer Storm Shields. Then we have the Auxiliary Support Detachment, which just had three Eliminators in it, naturally, the Sarge with the Instigator. I did want to ask you: Are you, did are you feeling okay now after they released you from the hospital for the head injury you took for taking a two CP uh, eliminator squad? <laughs> <laughs> I actually still feel good about that choice because it was a learning experience, and I had to theory check something. The whole the whole purpose of that was to be like, uh, yeah, I have a. So I did. I actually did quite a bit of uh, thinking about how I was going to play this. This was the first event I'd played in six months. Um, wow. For anybody curious, because uh, COVID kept me pretty locked down in Australia. And then when I go to America five months ago, I was streaming every event that I was in. Um, I have played games. Like I played a lot of testing with the Art of War Boys uh, in lead up to LVO. And then you guys have probably seen my antics playing on Tabletop Titans and Dice Check and stuff like that. But it had been about five weeks between games for me, between my last game and playing Adepticon. So I had a, I had some time in my hands. I was, I was twiddling my thumbs in Mexico. I started looking up secondary combinations matter which set of secondaries I took, because I had three distinct triplets of, of secondaries that I could take. And no matter which one I took, I wanted to be able to get 100 points on it. Um, and there was one combination that it was impossible for me to get 100 points on, because it was impossible for me to get to the middle of the table with an infantry unit turn one. All right. So I paid two CP for the opportunity cost. Hey, hey, sometimes you got you to gotta roll the dice. I want to know how that turned out for you. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna circle back to that a little bit. So, <laughs> all I can say is bold move, Cotton. Bold, bold move. move. <laughs> yes, it was. it was. We're circling back to it. We're gonna we're gonna go. I want you to tell me a little bit. We were all there, but tell me a little bit about the Adepticon terrain, and then we're gonna talk about your opponent's list and kind of why you deployed the way you did. And it was player play. So, tell me a little bit about how you placed the terrain too during your games. Well, let's, yeah, let's sure. get into. We, should we get into his list before real quick so we know what we're playing against? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Brad, give us, well, give us the list. 
Well, it just it changes how he places his terrain a little bit. Can I uh, um, depend? Can I say the name of his list though? It was Uthway. So let us let us talk about this craft world that came into town to play against the late and great Mister Adam. What's your favorite like forty k word to say? My new one is a thousand percent Uthway. That just feels right. This rolls off the tongue. Uthway. Yeah, feels uh, good. My my favorite thing to say is Eldred. Uthway. But he, he is, but he is not in this list, unfortunately. Sad. So we do have an, Uth, an Uthway battalion. We have two Farseer Skyrunners coming in with the extra strands of Fate die, with Fate Reader, Warlord Trades. We've got three units of Rangers, because why not? They're the cheapest. A little bit of wire weave. He had some shenanigans on each one, so they all did mortals the first time that you charged that were not... But I was going to say, it's not the first time that you charge him, but it's definitely the first time you charge him, because... You'll be dead. They'll be dead if they get charged. What is the what does that do again? So it's a D three mortals when they come in. It's D three mortals and minus two to all charges that turn. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty freaking good, actually. It's only five points. It's actually fairly useful. It's like a smite. It's like a smite plus a damage plus a a chance to make a miss a charge. It's very yeah. If you miss the charge, you can also do a little chip damage on you, especially if you're bringing a character or something into him, trying to clear him out. Uh, Two units of howling banshees, both with. Banshee Exarchs with the Mirror Swords. One's got Piercing Strikes, which is the plus one damage, so two damage apiece. And one's got Nerve Shredding Shriek, which does Immortal, but really, all you really care about is the fact that you get an extra wound and two extra attacks. Then we've got two units of Striking Scorpion, one with the Biting Blade with Crushing Blows, which is the one where it auto-wounds on every hit, and the other has Biting Blade Deadly Ambush. Then we've got a Warlock Skyrunner with Protect Jinx because you can't leave home without it. Nine Swooping Hawks and nine Support Batteries. Six of them D Cannons, but not the Big Hurt. And then two Wave Serpents. Batteries with uh, Wavers. Yeah, I'm saying they, they come default like, with uh, Shadow Weavers. Sorry. Hmm. Then when you when you buy them, you, you buy some Shadow Weavers, they just show up. And then you put some. Then you put the extra bonus D Cannon on them. What are the Shadow Weavers? Shadow Weavers are Strength 6, AP 2, 1 damage, 48 inch indirect. Are those the guys who uh, are Force World? No. No. The, uh, and the D Cannons are the 24 inch, uh, Strength 12, uh, AP a lot, <laughs> 3 plus D3 damage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, was not, I was not enamored in saying that I was playing against. Double D cannon support batteries on Dawn of War with Terminators. I was like, ah, this is not a good time. <laughs> Sherwood loves those things, by the way. He's enamored by the D cannons, which you, which you can't go wrong with. Those are very scary, by the way. When 24 <laughs> inches is where the game is going to be played, yeah. on you know, on that mission, that table, that deployment. They are terrifying. <laughs> the not as terrifying as they used to be, if everybody remembers with the old D weapons and the mm-hmm. small small templates where you just went, it looks like a road of six. looks like you're dead, mate. (laughs) (laughs) See everything underneath that. Unsee all those. those (laughs) Don't worry about it. Just go ahead. I helped you out. Don't don't worry. Rate of of side note. Actually, I got back to this game like once in a decade before this. And I came back into the D the D weapon era. And I picked up some Wraith guard and I played a game and I was like, um, I think I got this rule, right? Uh, all your guys are dead. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess D, D weapons were not super fun sometimes. Agreed. 
Tell us a little bit about the terrain of Adepticon, Adam. Uh, varied is the word I would use. Oh, or, uh, I, or lack thereof. <laughs> well, I had two I had two of my games that were on very reasonable, pretty much what you'd expect at any old... Uh, one of them was essentially playing with, like, you know the G-Dub big plexiglass um, ruins? It was those, but they're all forests. Yeah, so exactly. just a, it was just like a board of just big forests. There's okay. nobody... But, I mean, my Terminators just had to walk through forest all game, meaning they never made it out of my deployment. You know, uh, I have to give them credit because some of their some of the tables got upgraded where they looked very yeah. nice and they did a good job. And then there were some tables like our the first game we played in the team tournament was a rock, like one <laughs> rock for balking. And then you had two basically GW sized wide hills which did absolutely nothing they were like a two inch tall hill so just a piece of terrain and then two of those giant forests you were talking about <laughs> so some matches were tough cough we cough playing tau turn one <laughs> on that particular board screw you oliver well, we played <laughs> this one we played it there's yeah. like a, with all my opponents we kind of agreed that like if there were like four forests like Two of those fours we were playing as ruins, and with the world's four ruins, I thought that was pretty fair. And uh, kudos to everyone who you know agreed to that because I think that's kind of a reasonable well, way the, to play the, the game. As regular players, though, the thing is, is that you shouldn't have to become the diplomat of 40k to have not a, a ridiculous game. You know what I'm saying? Like you, that's the whole thing that you want to have a fair and balanced board. Do you know what I mean? Where each person feels that they the things that they do count. You want to have providence over the board, over your decision making, you know what I mean? As opposed to going, I can't hide. You know, no one that that's just a feeling that you don't want. And I feel that you have to as a tournament organizer make that happen. You know what I mean? You can't have people you don't want people to have feels bads. You want everybody to come home and I want to yell road four ups and then, you know, take that unbroken 24 hours and go, all right, what did I actually do to lose all these games? Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I thought was really interesting, not to completely derail the conversation here, was that I played with John and Jack and Adam and all of them at on the teams. I should have forgot Adam was like, I was like, oh yeah, Adam also. Like all these really great players. And I thought that that was kind of this unbroken moment, right? Where I saw these moves that I never knew existed in 40K. You're just like, this is crazy. Like, all right. Like, I've been playing checkers. These guys have been playing chess. I need to figure this out. So I think it's pretty cool. Like, I think there's a lot of this misconception at the bottom end of 40K or even like mid tables. It's like, oh man, like Harlequins, right? Oh man, Harlequins are so bad. It's just a dice game. We're just going to lose. It's kind of like not, not per se. Like, um, there's man, like, there are things you can things and stuff I, that you can I, do. I love the fact that you said that because yesterday I spent most of my day coaching and we talked about Harlequins and people were real bummed about it. But I'm like, you have to go in and yes, look, Harlequins are pretty oppressive on that, but you have plays to get points. And as long as you don't check out of the game and still score your points to you know keep grinding, man, you're you have opportunities to win that game. They don't have indirect. You know what I mean? So there's, you can make them have to come to you, take deep angles and stuff like that. We, John and I actually did the know your enemy uh, for Harlequins on that. And you can, there are things that you can do 
again, not saying that Harlequins don't feel like sometimes you're pounding your head against the wall, especially depending on the terrain, of course. But as long as you're looking to score your points and actually look at how can I make them make mistakes, again, ask them a million questions. So can I can I take can I give one example of this crazy thing John did? Because it was pretty awesome. Hit me. One thing. Okay, sorry. Again, not to derail, I apologize, but this feels very, very pertinent to the episode. So we're playing tyrannical war vets. So we're playing against Harlequins, and we're on this backside of this piece of terrain, and we have to move like like 10 inches to get on this objective to basically draw them, right? And so uh, John charges, and when he charges, he moves one guy into base, and then he moves the other guys around that corner six inches. So he gets them like, you know, almost there. And then he can get one guy on that base, but he's about to get hit in the face by Harlequins, right? So he he moves those guys, and then he consolidates, and he gets like one guy barely touching. And then the Harlequins is beating, 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 and he loses three dudes, and he picks up the guys in the middle, and then the guys in the combat literally just uh, fell. They they die because they um, because out of, out, of, out of coherency. So he just picks them up, and the one guy's left alive to tie to tie the objective. And it was it was freaking like. I was like, I never in a million years would have thought of that play, but it was such a big brain play. It was awesome. So that was a, that was a real funny round, if we can derail even further, because I was on the opposite table to you guys. You guys were playing against, you were playing pure firstborn Ultramarines plus Gilliman and Salamander's successes versus double Harlequins, and you only lost by a couple of points because that's the game you guys played. And me and Jack were, on the, were next year's playing... Fine hand successes and blood angels versus double tower. And I can tell you on our table, <laughs> Jack taught me a lot because they had five broadsides and they got to shoot their main guns once that game. And he was just like, we're just going to just play the game of don't lose to the broadsides. Uh, we'll just cop an SMS in the teeth every turn, five turns of the game. We copped SMS, but they only shot those rail guns once. And that was why we didn't get tabled. We almost got tabled. We didn't. <laughs> and we ended up winning. Yeah, we won, won that points. one. That's the crazy part. You yeah. won double tower with the uh, Blood Angels yeah. and uh, Iron Hands. Iron Hands. Yeah, yeah. it was freaking wild. Uh, so yeah, I learned a lot that game as well. Yeah, so um, going back to it, though. So <laughs> completely derailed for about four minutes there. But I thought it was pretty cool. I thought all those Adepticon teams was one of the coolest things I had uh, experienced in a while. But we talk about terrain. We talk about player placed. We just read your opponent's. Uthway list. Uh, tell us Uthway. how you deployed. Based the on- mission. Uh, so the mission is the the weird. Uh, so what's the the Dawn of War one where you've got one in your deployment zone, two directly out um, at, at a little uh, jaunty angles. It's kind of like two U's. You get bonus points for yeah. You get bonus points for holding the ones on your opponent's side. And so all the oh. all the um, that's yeah, such a, it's, it's such a swingy mission too for everybody yeah. with that that hasn't played that very much. It, all the all the objectives are it's done a war. All the objectives are in the middle, offset, and except for there's one in each deployment zone, but directly in the middle. So you have nothing on the flanks at all, and that is the biggest swing mission out of any of the 22 packet because of the fact that if you go second, not only can you get your 12, but you can also get eight more from the mission mm-hmm. for holding your opponent's three in his zone. Yep. That could be it. That's that's just a. There's no other mission where you can just go. Oh, I just got a twenty point swing in primary. So this was a very good. This was a good and bad mission for me. So terrain was. Uh, I'd say this is one of the ones where it was inadequate. It was missing like two pieces. If this table had two more pieces, it would have been fine. 
Um, I got, I had enough. I got first pick of terrain, and I took the biggest ruin. I slapped it in. I slapped it just outside my deployment zone, so I could put ten terminators behind it. Walk ten in. It was going to. Uh, sorry, just inside my deployment zone, so I could have ten behind, ten in, and slingshot up into the middle of the board. And then I put another ruin um, directly outside that one. And then he had his two ruins that went. Um, both went just inside his deployment zone, and he had two support batteries go one go in each. But neither of them were on an objective. And then he had one unit of crates that he put uh, one line of uh, two or three um, cargo containers that he put, and he put another unit of support batteries behind that. Um, and so I couldn't see any of his batteries turn one until he, he moved into them, um, which was good for me because he was back from his deployment line, so I could deploy a lot of my assets um, at angle and be outside D cannon range. But that, that, that was kind of rough. No matter what I do, because I have to go into the middle of the board in Storm of War, I'm going to cop every instance of his shooting, um, and so it did play to my strengths that I could get to the middle and there was a reason to go there and I could be in there in strength with two bricks of Terminators. But the thing is, I was just going to take a pounding every single turn. Uh, but so I had to plan, I was planning ways and means to shut him down early. And um, But I, I'll say right now, this was my first game into the new Craft Worlds book. I had not played a game of Warhammer since that came out and I learned a hell of a lot because all the plans that I, I made in my head to shut down one or two of his battery shooting every turn failed for me for the first two turns because he had shenanigans and ways of means to mitigate him. What was your plan going? You look at this, what's your plan and um, how did you aim to execute that by your deployment? Who were you, so, speaking of that, what were the secondaries to um, wrap up I, the plan yourself? I believe, if I remember right, I took uh, to the last, I took. Definitely took to the last. Definitely took Stranglehold. Um, and Stranglehold was an interesting one because it was a six-objective mission, but I knew he had to be out of his deployment zone to score him, and I was like, well, I'm more durable than you. I'll sit three, <coughs> one, and I'll try and get like a, a nice nine on Strangle. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to remember the last one. Um, it, so if I took Strangle thing, I couldn't, have t- I couldn't have taken Oath. I couldn't have taken things. So it may have been... Um, I was Banners. Yes, I took Banners as my last. So I was like, I... I it's it's a whole two mission for, for those who don't know. It's whole two for four, um, three for eight, and and more for the twelve. And so that's ex- it's extremely hard to do um, to, in this mission, especially on on barely their terrain. So I had to stack my terrain in, essentially in the the corridor. What I call it on this mission is the corridor because there's a, a pretty much you deploy you deploy on your um, home objective, and then there's a corridor between you and your opponent, and there's there's four there's four objectives in that corridor. And so, to my mind, on this one, if you can't play the peripheries, if you're not quick, just play the corridor. And so that's what I tried to do. So essentially, all the Ravenwing units, every single one of them deployed in a line on my backboard edge, on my back table edge, because they've got all the movement in the world in Dawn of War. And the idea was that I sit and I work the corridor with my Terminators and my my characters and my Talmaster, and then I shoot out my Ravenwing units to disrupt his primary and tag his D-cannons. <laughs> the big- idea. Now, the big thing for everybody that doesn't know on that, you can actually take away obsec on for one of his units, and your bikes are obsec. So you can basically see you setting up there. You can just basically steal an objective, a turn kind of against him. And I love that plan. That, that was it. So I, I hold, I hold two with my terminators. I hold one with my raven wing every turn that I shoot out, and that same unit taps the unit of D cannons and tries to shut them down. Um, now, like I said, that didn't work. I try that. That was a that was a fallacy. What I was trying to do. <laughs> I'll, I'll unpack that for you now. So there's a couple of things that I didn't know about. Um, firstly, fate dice and how they work. Um, 
Secondly, um, just how many CP he was willing to spend to make sure he shot those decanons every turn. It was, I thought I was going to bleed him out. Um, on, but I'm like, okay, either I'll shut down the decanons or I'll bleed out his CP. And it turns out I didn't end up doing either. He had plenty of CP to, to keep going. But one of the great, and I'll talk about this later for my learnings about um, this game because I threw away uh, units when I didn't need to. Um, I got first turn which was big for me. I, I thought I, I needed first turn. I thought I was going to lose if I went second because he could have. He, he, there was no way for me to deploy Terminators that were going to make any impact on the game unless they were deployed on the line and they were going to go up that corridor. So he was able to deploy D-Cannons out of range of my stuff and out of line of sight, but they were always going to be able to move into range um, as soon as I moved or did anything out of my deployment zone or he went first. Um, so I went first. I put my Eliminators on the, the right, my right-hand objective, the one that's out of the corridor, um, because I didn't really have any other use for them in this game. If I was more spot on, um, they maybe would have gone in cover in my middle ruin and they would have double moved onto one of his home objectives and gotten me some extra bonus points because they, in all likelihood, they weren't making it out of turn one anyway. So I might as well have got the bonus points from because they're just like utter D cannon fodder. They will just explode in a, in a moment's notice. Um, because like rent, we're going to, got to hit them, hit them on threes, wound them on twos, no save, they're dead, even if they're in cover, it doesn't matter. Um, and so what I did is I spent two CP and I scout moved a unit of, of Outriders. And that unit of Outriders was there to go and shut down some D-cannons and make sure I get my Stranglehold. Um, what happened next is my turn goes pretty well. Um, one of the cool things about, well, one of the bad things from, from the terrain point of view was that the three, um, the three batteries he had um, that were behind the crates, I could see if I deployed my Cyclones on top of my, my home ruin. So I was able to deploy my two cyclones that they could see um, his decanon batteries. And I'm like, okay, well, that's one of his to the lasts. I'm just going to pick those up. That was a fallacy too. Because <laughs> straight dice said no. <laughs> I shot those things for, I think, three turns. So four cyclone shots hitting on twos or for two or three turns into three support batteries. I killed one. Because of fate dice, because he would just fate dice the saves oh every time. My God, how many? He must have rolled so many sixes to get those saves. No, he only had he only had one or two every turn for the first two turns. He only had one or two, but that was enough. Um, hitting on twos with a miss, wounding on threes with a fail, and then roll a save, auto pass a save, and so I killed one battery. Because of course you got to roll. They're, they're five or six wounds. So I got to roll well in the d six. True. So uh, I think I think it, it wasn't outside the realm of possibility. I should have been killing one and a half a turn instead. I was killing maybe one a turn. Uh, because fate, yeah. Um, but what, where the fallacy was with the the, the bias going up to tap the D cannons was that on turn one, because I went first, he knew he had the the what he wanted to do with his fate dice. He had my whole my whole turn was like pretty much signaled for him. He used all his fate dice on Overwatch, all his hits. He killed he killed two of my outriders in Overwatch, which denied me the ability to string back and get stranglehold because that's what I was going to do. And also meant I didn't have enough uh, boys to execute the kind of formation I was going to do to stop him from falling back and shooting, which is what he was able to do. Because um, I needed two guys in order to block him off to kind of keep him trapped. And then he could either spend two CP, break out, maybe lose some platforms. Um, also, I found out just how many attacks those platforms have in combat. And it's obscene. <laughs> seven apiece, baby. Seven apiece. Seven apiece. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I almost lost, uh, sorry, I lost two bikes to the Overwatch. And then, I all, then the last break I had was on one wound that, of Outriders, guys. Toughness five, four wounds of Bob, Marine, like Marines. Uh, I mean, they, they, it, they do have a volume of attacks. Not good attacks, because they are just slapping you. But 
but was still, almost, it's a value. Almost good enough. And so he just, I didn't have enough to execute what I wanted. I didn't, I, I ended up getting my stranglehold because I had the eliminators there, but I, they were supposed to get me bonus, which is why I didn't put the eliminators in his deployment zone because I was like, oh yeah, Bikes are just going to get that bonus and make sure I have the primary supremacy. Um, and then, yeah, it just, the, that unit was had one guy left on one wound. He paid the CP to fall back and shoot, and I accomplished nothing. <laughs> so I like you know threw away unit of blacks, and then I proceeded to do something very similar in the next turn. Um, the next turn, he had moved into the ruin, so it was very easy for me to keep him locked in. So I had three more blacks that went up. He once again he killed two on Overwatch, which was obnoxious. Um, uh, but then I had enough. The one guy was enough to keep him locked because he was in a he was in a ruin. So one guy was enough to stop him from falling back. But then of course I've only got one guy. Executioner and Smite clears that guy off. He shoots as normal. So two turns of throwing away. I threw away what 150 and plus 90 points. So 240 points of blacks to actually do net zero, um, net zero to to him. Um, so that was a huge uh, learning curve for me. So I come into turn three and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm up on the scoreboard like comfortably up on the scoreboard by turn three. The primary is in my favor. He's I'm getting secondary points. He's not. My, all, I've got three banners up. Um, and he comes the crux turn. He moves his wave serpents out, which all have melee units in it. He's got two scorpions. He's got some banshees in there. Um, some other bits and pieces. He positions them to threaten my flank, to threaten my um, my to the right objective, the non corridor objective, because he knows he knows the corridor's mine. Like if he comes in the corridor, he's just feeding me units. Um, and I realize uh, if he hits that flank, my terminator's too slow to go over there and stop him because he's got my front unit. Um, is it enfeebled? The hard move. Restraint. Yeah, restrained. Um, so the whole game, my front unit of Terminators is restrained, is is slow. This is the other thing as well. He, I, I didn't deny a single Psyche Power all game. <laughs> I had Ezekiel up at the front in deny range, but didn't deny a single power. That was very frustrating. Um, and I was taking casualties every turn. He was he was focusing on the bikes first because he saw the bikes were the only things that were going to stop him from scoring points. And chewing Terminators is hard. But I was still taking casualties and I was raising them and I was healing them, whatever. Um, it comes to the crux turn, and I realize if I sit where I am right now, I'm probably going to lose by five or six points, and I decide to play for the win. So I pushed out 10 Terminators, the 10 Terminators that weren't um, restrained, and I popped the Wave Serpent with all my shooting and charged the... Oh, sorry, no. No, no, no. I couldn't pop it with the shooting. I charged it, and I killed it with the killed the contents, and I'm like, okay, I've got 10 Terminators on one of his home objectives now, got me my Stranglehold, got me some bonus points, and I, and I had my Apothecary up there with him, so I was like, okay, so... Um, I don't think he can kill me back, like through all the buffs, through all the everything. Maybe I have a couple left. I've got what what I did that was very clever and what I twigged to immediately when I saw the disparity is that I've got five, so I've got six obsec units, two of them terminators, four of them of blacks. He has rangers. They're the only obsec in his army. He can give obsec through Will of Assyrian. I thought, I think, I remember he took that, but um, I have absolute obsec supremacy. And I thought if I got 10 terminators on his home objective, um, he wouldn't be able to dig me off. Um, and that was a fallacy as well. I really underestimated his small melee units. He had two units of scorpions one and one unit of banshees. They were all small, five mans. One unit of scorpions charged 10 of my terminators and killed seven of them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, What's the math on that? Well, they, I'm assuming he doomed you in the... Basically, yeah, I, I couldn't stop a power. He got everything yeah. off. So, everything got off. so effectively what happens is every... Every sixth wound is immortal in addition to the regular damage. So he's rerolling everything. Who wants to take a punt on how many mortals he did with that squad? Just take a guess. He doomed you, I assume. 
100, yeah, he, he got every power off. Like, I'd already stated that. He got every single power off all game. I couldn't stop any of them. <laughs> but um, how many mortals do you think that one unit of five did to my did to my turn? How many attacks do they have? 21, 20, yeah, 22. I think he did eight mortals. Oh. Eight more? That's already more than average. Yes. <laughs> uh, ten? One more than that. He did eleven models. Yeah, that's that's hot, man. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, the super he had the super exarch. Um, he had a bunch of extra attacks. Um, and yeah, he just he just did a lot. He did a lot of work. And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, because that was a game losing mistake. Had I sat there, there was opportunities still. I thought I was going to lose, but I wasn't sure. There were still three turns to play. Um, I could have sat there and seen what else developed, but I decided to go for. a I guess more of the more the aggressive style when I had the patience was on my side. I still had two bricks of terminators, all my characters. I think I had one unit of blacks left by this point because the D cannons and the shadow weavers had picked up everything else. Um, but I knew once I lost my right objectives, I was never going to get it back. So because it, and because it's too far out of the corridor, if I put terminators out there, they're never coming back into the corridor. So I decided to continue playing the corridor. Um, and so I went up and took his home objective uh, once again in that corridor. And then I was like, oh no, because <laughs> that was it to the last. So that unit died. It died straight out because it had three termies left. There was no point me inter- spending my last two CP to interrupt three termies into five banshees and five scorpions because I wasn't going to kill both. And then I got picked up. Um, and so then I lost five points into the last. That swung back, didn't get the bonus points, didn't get stranglehold. And I went from getting um, what was probably going to be a uh, eight or 12 on primary in the next turn to getting fours and probably fours for the rest of the game. And uh, that was the, the crux point. I underestimated his melee ability. I threw away two units of bikes when I didn't need to because I was operating on on a false premise or yeah a false knowledge, and yeah uh, he just he rolled me up from there and uh, did a very good job. So, is there any chance that you can tell me, clever girl, in your Australian accent after you said it was a clever move? Clever girl, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, lovely. That's what you should come from that. I'm glad, Brad. Um, I do like this because we'll talk about it in the second part, though. But I love that you instantly saw, I mean, there were small things we'll talk about also, but the uh, almost, I feel like almost every game that I lose and a lot of them that I win, I feel, I find that point where I, you make that movement decision Hmm. that you're like, that is, that's when I started noticing dice. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have been there kind of thing. And I love that you instantly saw it kind of like, ah, I could have scored more points if I was just patient or if I chose just a slightly different way. Uh, I was given the opportunity to make a mistake by my opponent and I made it. I should have, <laughs> I should have been like, I will not make this mistake, sir. I will see if you make one. How um, bad and that did you lose much- when it's all said and done, Adam? I went down by under 20 points. I think it was 17 or 18 points. And so I'm not, I'm not unhappy with the result. And this is this is a thing that uh, uh, as part of my list building and as part of um, what I think makes Dark Angels a competitive choice for Space Marines, you know, quote, bunny is quotation marks, um, mm-hmm. is that I, I will score well even when I'm getting smashed. Yeah. I think it was I think I got 56 and he ended up around uh, seven mid 70. Like, um, so but yeah, it was under 20 points in my first game against Craft Worlds, which I can say I'm not unhappy with. I think that's that's just fine considering how. Uh, how much I feel like there was a knowledge disparity between me and my opponent. Like the things that I expected out of that game were not the things that he expected out of that game. We were not seeing the game um, equally because I underestimated a bunch of his elements and um, 
overestimated some of mine, like the, the bike's ability to go and make sure those those got stopped. I did make one significant mistake in, in addition. I had my, my chaplain is a baller. And what I do is I creep him up behind my terminators to the midboard and then I shoot him out and I'll, I'll go and actually smash something. I, <laughs> and this is 100% on me. Um, he had uh, the, the D cannons in the middle and the D cannons on the right of my, uh, when I was facing him in his deployment zone. He had the shadow weavers on the left. Um, and I thought those were D cannons, which were some of his to the last. And so I shot my, my chappy out there to go and kill him. And I killed them and then realized they weren't. Because uh, the, the weavers do, once the bikes are gone, the weavers are like, do nothing to my army. They, they shoot into two pluses and wound on fours. So their strength means nothing, ren means nothing. I, I don't care. Um, and, but I, I shot my chappy out to go and kill that rather than going to kill shadow, uh, like actual D cannons, which would have been another big play. What is Ouch. what is whole, what is the are the shadow weavers are they on a weapon platform? Yes, they look exactly the same. They're literally oh, okay. the only difference is the tip of the weapon. Is a little there's a little flange on top of the <laughs> exactly. They they look yes. exactly the same. So what you're saying is it's just a tip. Okay, I got it you. It's just the tip. Just the tip. Sorry, that's hard to. Well, Adam, thanks for joining us, man. I'm looking forward to the Bradning part two. I want to unpack a lot of what we discussed here because I think there's a lot of play in what you've played. And um, Dark Angels, I think you're in a decent spot, which is kind of a cool thing to say. And so um, The I'm only impressed. thing that, that puts Dark Angels in a good spot is scoring ability. Yeah. You can get your absolute ass kicked and still score well. Um, and so that is, I mean, when you're playing a book that is underpowered, you look for the things that you still can do. Like you, so, and, so, and so crazy to say that. A year ago, there is no chance that you would have been Dark Angels, underpowered guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so I mean, true. You guys, are, you guys are talking about your favorite lines, you say? My favorite line is Permatransium. Permatransium, perfect. Stuff and just like, are you just shrugging at Permatransium? What are you wound on? Ah, Permatransium. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a, uh, what's that thing where like uh, people say really like soothing words or there's like noises that are really appealing? ASMR. Yeah, I'm going to do an AM- ASMR. It's like, Permatransium. Uthway. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be nice. Uh, stay tuned for that. That's got to be dropping soon. But Adam, thanks for joining us, man. We'll join you for part two, where we're going to talk about all things Dark Angels. We're going to talk about the nitty-gritty, deep, dark secrets from Adam Kimmel. The answer given. Yeah. Dude, my absolute pleasure to be on the show. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out our other shows. We have The Art of War, vanilla-flavored, now flavored with Paul Murphy and Nick Nanavati. Make sure to check that out. We also have the very American, very patriotic Art of War Down Under <laughs> with the late and great Mr. Adam Camilleri. Check out his shows. Oh great content. We, of course, are the Art of War Pistachio, the flavor you didn't know you liked until you tried us. Thanks for listening. Check us out next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. 